Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Rachel Cunliffe. The Prime Minister, Liz Truss, has just resigned. I'm joined now by Rachel Wehrmuth and Ben Walker to take you through what happened. We'll have a full rundown later of step-by-step how this unfolded. But for now, here's our immediate reaction. So... Liz Truss has resigned as Prime Minister. Later on today, we will take you through step by step what happened and how it happened. But now for an instant reaction, Rachel, Ben, what is going on? Well, everything just seemed to happen in very quick succession from late morning onwards, really. So Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, was seen dashing into the back door of Downing Street for what we now know kind of crisis talks with the PM after we saw drip drip of more MPs cut just saying they had no confidence going public, saying they had no confidence, which means, you know, the number that already had no confidence probably much larger than that behind closed doors. And then we saw Tory chairman Jake Berry go in there also. And we know that Therese Covey, the deputy, was in there as well. And then shortly afterwards, at half past one, the Prime Minister came out, stood in front of a lectern in front of Downing Street and said she was resigning as Prime Minister. She, she phrased it as she was unable to deliver on the mandate that she was elected on as Conservative Party leader, which was to cut taxes, basically. That was soon as she ran as a low-tax Conservative. And she said, which was the surprising bit of the statement, that we could expect a, a leadership election to be complete within a week, which would suggest that this is all going to be sorted out by MPs as opposed to Conservative Party members now. Ben, taking a look at the polls and how the last couple of weeks have played out, they've clearly decided that it's more of a liability to have her stay than to announce that she's going without a clear plan for what comes next. When did that become inevitable? On the day she became Prime Minister, perhaps. It feels feels like it was inevitable the minute she became Prime Minister. There was already, by about mid-August, the level of coverage during the Conservative Party leadership election, the level of coverage was pretty intense. We didn't really have anything else to look at, did we? And voters, they took to Liz Truss first. There was a good level of approval, liking of her, which lasted about a week. And this was half midway through August. And then it just started to crash. And this was at the same time as Tory members were beginning to reassess, do I really want Truss over Sunak? By the time she became Prime Minister, she was already in the net negative. 
okay? She came in about as popular as perhaps Jeremy Corbyn was when he became Labour leader in 2015. And then she just crashed and burned. You thought perhaps the death of her late majesty, this will be the moment for her. It wasn't. Rather, she just took a back seat. She was just another face of the many during that week of mourning. It, yeah, it was from the get-go. We knew it was going to be difficult for her. From the get-go, we knew this was going to be a challenge for her. And she didn't live up to the challenge. She didn't surpass expectations. Actually, she did. Because, my goodness me, this crash is nothing we have really seen before in any premiere when they come to office. The worst leadership ratings ever for a premier. That's unexpected, really. Not unexpected, but it's big. Okay, and you have, if you look at the polling now, even if you factor for Tory undecideds coming back home, they're on course for a big defeat at the next election. This is, yeah, it's big. That's all I can say, really. I think she was polling lower than Vladimir Putin a couple of days ago, which which tells you something. And also she's been outlasted by the star's lettuce, which if you haven't been following that, go check out the lettuce. I think it's celebrating with disco lights at the moment. Obviously, we have no idea what comes next, but some predictions from either of you. They're going to run the contest. She said election, but we're not sure what kind of election it's going to be. They're going to run it in the space of a week. Any suggestions or predictions on contenders and who might be prime minister in a week? I said this morning it might be my cat, but if it's not my cat, who might it be? Predictions? I think all I can complete confidence at this point is like Rishi Sunak will make a return to the cabinet, whether that'll be as a leader or in another kind of role. Every prediction he made about the economy and Liz Truss's leadership has been proved right over the summer. So he's he'll be in that top team. A lot of people obviously very much want him to run. It also could be Penny Morden. I think I predict that at least in the very immediate future and for quite a while, Jeremy Hunt's probably going to stay as Chancellor because he'll need to sort out the economic mess. So I can't see him moving it at the moment. I think it will be a very muted contest. I don't think there'll be a lot of rows. I think it'll be a very disciplined and very short-run thing to try and bring the party together in some respect. And Ben, final predictions from you? Oh, God, yeah. The Conservative Parliamentary Party is, it's so fraught, it's so divided. You think of Tory members being factional and divided. No, Tory MPs are the same. It's like trying to get a unity candidate from Labour Party members in 2020. Are you really going to get that? It's going to be blooming hard. I can't swear, can I? But it's going to be very hard. Similar to what Rachel says, it's going to be quick. The rules, if there are rules agreed, we're still speaking in if, buts and maybes. They want it done by next week. Who could that be? Tom Tuganat's ruled himself out. Michael Gove has ruled himself out. A lot of the people who, you know, who have been sitting on the sidelines sniping have pretty much ruled themselves out. Will the party wear Rishi Sunak when half the party don't like Rishi Sunak? I don't know. Maybe someone who hasn't yet been tainted by the factional brush, someone who hasn't been tainted by in, intense media coverage could do it. But who does that suggest? That really does narrow the field, doesn't it? It's, this next week is going to be, it may feel quiet, but in reality, who emerges from it? It could be, could, I could get quite chaotic, really, couldn't it? If I had to put, if I had to put money on it, I'd say it's probably, it'll probably be Sunak. But I think Penny will run him quite close. The one thing we do know is that we here on the New Statesman podcast team will be around to bring you the latest, whatever happens. <laughs> Guys, thank you. Thank you so much for joining Last Minute. And after the break, we'll give you a rundown of exactly how the chaos unfolded yesterday, which was recorded a couple of hours before Liz Truss resigned as Prime Minister. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. 
you can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12 if you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Dox on the death of Boris the Clown. When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So before we start, I just want to say that Anoush is not here today because she is reporting in Middlesbrough on the cost of living crisis and she's going to be gutted to have missed this one because this is a sort of roller coaster podcast where we try and make sense of what has happened in the last 24 to 48 hours in which we have seen, I think the kids these days call absolute scenes. We'll come on to exactly what happened in, in the House of Commons late last night later. But let's start off with Liz Truss's second ever PMQs, which was a make or break moment for her leadership. Rachel, you were there. Tell us what went down. PMQs. I wouldn't say it was like a damp script, but it just felt like all of the action was happening elsewhere. So it felt like Liz Truss was under pressure from her own backbenchers. We knew that there was going to be a resignation coming somewhere during the day. We knew the fracking vote was coming, which the government had turned into a confidence matter, which was unusual. So we knew there was going to be a difficult day ahead for Liz Truss. All of her MPs were kind of very quiet. I wasn't expecting them to be just as silent as they were. Keir Starmer almost underplayed it a little bit because I think it works for Labour at the minute to not unite the Conservative Party. So I think he played it slightly under, understated because he, I guess they want the chaos to just play out in the Conservative Party and it, for it to do as much damage to Liz Truss as possible. But she tried to deal with questions as, as best as she could. I think at one point she tried to channel Peter Mandelson by saying, I'm a fighter, I'm not a quitter, which kind of just drew a lot of laughs, really. I mean, it was just very obvious that she had no authority. I think as, as you pointed out in your analysis of that PMQ session, Peter Mandelson did in fact resign twice. But 
she didn't collapse. She didn't run out crying. She turned up, which is something compared to what we saw of her last Friday in the press conference after sacking Kwasi Kwarteng. And on Monday, when she sent Penny Morden to answer the urgent question instead. Freddie, do you think that the bar was just so low that simply turning up and getting through it almost was counted as a win? Yeah, I think when PMQ started, there wasn't the sense that she was going to go in the next few days. There was a feeling that Jeremy Hunt had steadied the ship a little bit. The markets had calmed down, which had taken pressure off Liz Truss. She just, as Rachel said, had to get through it. And I think she did do that. And that was not to say that she was in any way recovering her position. It was just that she might not go in the next few hours. And then what we saw throughout the rest of the day was a speeding up of her collapse. PMQs was the start of the day. Uh, And it went downhill from there. We will come on to the rest of the chaotic day uh, very shortly. But just before we do, there was one answer that she gave at PMQs when she was asked by the SNP leader, basically, if she could commit to keeping the triple lock on pensions, which is what makes sure that pensions rise in line with inflation or earnings or 2.5%, whatever is higher. Obviously, inflation right now is over 10%. Earnings are around 5.5%. And there had been hints from Jeremy Hunt and from others that we're facing a spending black hole and maybe that would have to be looked at. Is it fair for pensions to rise by twice as much as earnings? And she was very clear that actually the Conservatives would be sticking to that. Like, To what extent do you think that that's feasible and that's kind of part of the plan to stick to the 2019 manifesto and how much of it is just trying to say whatever you need to say on the day to to get through it only to be you turned on later. Yeah, I think it was an attempt to reassert her authority over Jeremy Hunt, who had said, as you say, that it was still on the table. But it doesn't really matter what she says at this point on policy because we've had so many U-turns. What the government say they're going to do changes every day. And the next big announcement will or presumably come on the 31st of October. And all the power about what's including that announcement rests with Jeremy Hunt, not the Prime Minister. Last week, she said there'd be absolutely no spending cuts. <laughs> kind of fell apart in the briefing. Like some minutes later, she can say anything before we see the heart of darkness on October 31st. And I don't know, I don't know how much people are invested in what she says, but what, the one thing she didn't commit to quite pointedly was raising benefits in line with inflation. Can we just say working age benefits? Because obviously the state pension is also a benefit. Right. Just no one likes to think of it as such. When she was asked by one of her own MPs, and that came up this morning, actually, at the TUC conference in Brighton, Keir Starmer was asked about it. And he said he was prepared to work with Conservative MPs to try and make sure that the government sticks to the hike that was promised by Rishi Sunak back in the spring. That's another battle line that's been drawn. Well, you, you mentioned what it was that she said last week at PMQs, which was absolutely no spending cuts. Last week was a different era. We had a different chancellor. We had a different home secretary. I I can't keep track of who the home secretary at the moment is because having got through PMQs without any major disasters and people going, okay, it's stabilised a bit, we then had a bombshell resignation slash sacking. I wish there was like a portmanteau word that you could combine those two of the home secretary, Swala Braverman, who says that she was forced to resign over accidentally sending a email an email from a non-government email account what what what's going on here how much do we believe this uh, well that's the ostensible reason that she went yeah but you can tell from the resignation letter that the 
real reason was disagreement over policy and a sense that she no longer wanted to be associated with the government. There's some venomous lines in there. And I think for Liz Truss, it demonstrated that she's now also lost the right of the party, particularly over U-turns on the mini-budget and over immigration. But it also just completely destabilised her again. And that's one of the things that we've been waiting for, cabinet resignations, ministerial resignations. You've got to remember that was one of the key things that brought Boris Johnson down at the end. And later in the day, we had supposedly a resignation of the chief whip and deputy whip, which suddenly became an unresignation hours later. But as soon as this unity and discord spreads to cabinet and into the government, and then the prime minister's position becomes even more untenable hour by hour, resignation, resignation by resignation. It was, as resignation letters go, an absolute classic of the genre. One of our chief sub-editors, Peter Williams, has analysed it. The New Statesman website's got all kinds of words in it, like she made an error that was a technicality. She sent an email to a trusted source, but really minimising what it was that she, she did. But then she ends that paragraph on what she did with, I made a mistake, I take responsibility. I resign. That's quite pointed at the Prime Minister, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah, and I think she went on to say, I can't remember what her exact wording was, but she basically said that the government wasn't able to do what she called serious politics because nobody put any faith in whether they were sticking to one position or or another. It was very obvious that there was a lot of policy divides there. I think one one thing where maybe he's overlooking slightly in this conversation is that Suella Bravman also fancied herself as a leader during the summer's leadership contest. And you do wonder if that's where she's trying to position herself again now. She's very much a favourite of the European research group. But I wouldn't rule her out. Yeah, completely. I wrote about this in today's Morning Call and yeah. I was speaking to some Tories last night who were very worried that now she's resigned, she'll try and stand and make it much more difficult to get a unity candidate because she'll insist on a contest. So, that, so lots of people are worried about that. There's no agreement on who the unity candidate should be and everybody's unhappy but no one group or faction has got enough momentum or enough numbers at the minute so that's one of the things there is so much disunity and none of it's put exactly in one place it's not all behind Rishi Sunak it's not all behind Suella Bravman it's not all behind Penny Morden. I think it's worth just remembering that in terms of where she stands in the party, Solar Bravman makes Preeti Patel look soft and left-wing and tofu-eating and cuddly. She did her speech at Tory party conference about how she had a dream of watching asylum seekers deported on a plane. The tofu reference is, is to something she said earlier this week about a coup, essentially, and, and how all the problems that Liz Truss is facing is because of the wokerati don't like what she's doing. She's you know, very much on the right-wing Brexity end of the party and is very hardline about immigration, not just controlling it, but also reducing absolute numbers, including of people who the Conservative Party Brexit voters are quite keen on, like international students and people who have qualifications like doctors and computer scientists who actually want to come here. And there are reports that this has been a source of tension between her and, and Liz Truss since she became Home Secretary and that it all blew up. I think the Daily Mail is reporting they had a massive shouting match. It is true, though, that Liz Truss was the figurehead for that wing of the party over the summer and has been forced to move to the centre or to get in Jeremy Hunt, who is more in the centre. So there's a kind of vacancy in the Brexity Tory wing. And do you really think they'd go for it again, having seen the chaos that we've had in the last couple of weeks? The, the Brexity wing of the party. I think, again, but it's some MPs who would back Brexit are also 2019ers who have very small majorities. 
So I think they're more cautious about where they'd put their support in terms of they'll be thinking about the voters that they might need to convince at the next election. And they might know that that might not be someone like Suella Bravman. So they might be looking potentially to someone like Ben Wallace, or they might be looking to someone like Rishi Sunak. It doesn't follow just because they're pro-Brexit that they think that Suella Bravman's going to be the perfect candidate for them. I sat outside the ERG meeting this week, not for the first time. <laughs> I spent like almost all of 2019 sitting in Carissi Corridor. And Liz Truss went to speak and it was remarkable how just thinly attended it was. That, that group's attention is somewhere else. But also in that committee corridor, there was this new meeting of the 2022 group, which includes a lot of 2019ers. And that they're both in different places is, is interesting. Rishi Sunak, I haven't seen for days. I don't know if you have, Freddie. But I've seen him wandering with quite buoyantly. Yeah, you would think so, yeah. But I thought it feels at the moment like the most influential group is the One Nation group, that kind of centrist group, the sort of the older and wiser heads. Rachel, you're right. Uh, it's really important to look at the ideological shift within cabinet. We had Jeremy Hunt come in and completely change government policy overnight. And now we've got Grant Shapps, the new Home Secretary, who last week was criticising Liz Truss. Speaking of authority seeping away, so we've done PMQs, we've done the resignation of the Home Secretary. We now come to an episode that I think we can only title What the Frack Just Happened. Freddie, what did happen? How did this Labour motion on fracking turn into something that essentially brought down the government? Yeah, I think it was a very smart move from Labour. What they did, it was the opposition day so they can put forward votes in the Commons and they decided to try and take hold of the business in the Commons at a future date. Now, the government saw that as a big issue because they think, which is normal, the government should have control over what happens in the Commons. So they said to their MPs, this is a matter of confidence. It's a hard three-line whip. You must go and vote with the government and vote down this motion. That was very important because, and this is why it was smart from Labour, lots of Tory MPs are diametrically opposed to fracking because so many of their constituents don't want it. So it put them in a tricky position. Then there was confusion over whether it was a vote of confidence or not. We had a minister at the dispatch box at the end of the debate suddenly proclaimed that it was no longer a vote of confidence. And then minutes later, they all filed into the voting lobbies and it still wasn't clear whether it was a vote of confidence or not. And that's when we had allegations of manhandling. One eyewitness put it to me that they saw a group of Tory MPs around one of their colleagues shouting aggressively, trying to ensure that they voted with the government. When they went to intervene, they were shouted at. Um, So it was a very chaotic, angry, disorderly vote in the end. And I think, again, (laughs) that's not how a government should be able to manage its MPs. It means that they no longer respect the whipping system. It means that the chief whip has been put in a very awkward position, hence all the rumours about her sacking or her resignation. As you say, the two have become one in the past week or so. So it was absolute disaster. And I think it's also changed the mood within the party from despair to anger. And um, with anger comes impetus and a sense that this is going to end much more quickly than it would have 24 hours ago. Rachel, can you just help shed some light? Was it a confidence vote or not? Because the government won it really comfortably by nearly 100 votes. And yet it really feels like they lost it. It certainly didn't have to be a confidence vote. They certainly didn't like, and they certainly didn't need to put that in writing, even if they did feel that it was a big mistake for them, for any of the whips to communicate it in writing to their MPs at such a time like this. But it's like, it's a convention dictates thing rather than it, it legally has to be a confidence matter. It's an opposition day. They can just, many times they've had opposition day votes and they've just 
completely ignored them and, and hadn't turned up and said the Labour opposition can do what the hell they like, really. So it, but it, this seemed to me like it was Liz Truss trying to impose her authority and try to like bring back a little bit of power. But I think at the minute we've got MPs who are, again, acting in lots of different groups, worried about the next election and the sort of judgment that's going to come on their parties. They're thinking about three different things. They're thinking about their constituents, they're thinking about the government and they're thinking about their long-term interests of their party. And in terms of the government's whipping operation, this is a party that's been through in like recent months, the whole Owen Paterson vote, where they lost a lot of confidence in how the government was was behaving, behaving, pushing them through the lobbies to do things that they were barely able to justify later. And you just kept, you were just seeing some some MPs yesterday who looked just 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 on a personal individual level very stressed, very worn out, and struggling to cope with all of those different priorities. But if this was an attempt by Liz Trust to reinstate some authority, completely backfired. Tell us about Charles Walker and his sort of bombshell interview. He's a backbench MP. He did a bombshell interview on the BBC, which I think has gone viral. Does one of you want to explain what he said there and what his general message was? He's long-term backbencher, extremely loyal, very rarely will ever break the whip of unless it's something over he feels very passionate about. And I think he just said that he called it a completely disgraceful episode, I think, in some of his words. And it was really just, he set off speaking about it and you could see just the fury in his face. He said, "How are you angry about this? He said, yeah, I'm furious. I can't believe that things have disintegrated to this extent, really. And it just, I think just the, the sort of pure fury with which he gave that interview just really summed up the evening, really, because normally he's quite measured as a politician. Yeah, I think he's very popular among the party and he expressed a sense of shame I think which lots of MPs are currently feeling and complete embarrassment about where the party is at the moment. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me Rachel Cunliffe. We're produced by Mae Robson. Our music is Devil with the Devil licensed under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my colleagues, Freddie Hayward, Ben Walker, and Rachel Wermuth. We're produced by Mae Robson and Adrian Bradley, and our music is Devil with a Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.